0: today in John chapter 15, we're going to find out what Jesus means when he says that if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He told us that, recorded for us by John in John chapter 14. We're going to find that he means by that that we are to love Christ and that we are also to love each other. And in so doing, we're going to fulfill at least one of the commandments of Christ. It seems like One of the other commands of Jesus Christ is also that we love the Lord God with all of our hearts and minds and souls and strength, and this along with loving and serving others is the greatest commandment we find out in Scripture. The Apostle Paul will tell us that if we will do this, if we will love our neighbors as ourselves, then we will fulfill the law and all the commandments of Christ and all the commandments of Scripture. And so we're beginning to put the pieces together, right? Jesus has told us that if we love Him, we'll obey His commandments. And so those of us who are here who know Christ, we would certainly say it is our desire, it is our hope that we would love Christ, that we would demonstrate that love for Him. Now He's beginning to put the pieces together for the disciples and for us. This is what His commandments are. This is what it looks like to actually obey Christ. And today we hear specifically That we are to love one another, and not just to love one another, but to love one another as Christ has loved the disciples, and we'll talk more about that here in just a few moments. And so we're in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, and the pivotal statement there in our text for this morning comes in verse 16. There Jesus tells his disciples that they did not choose him, but that Jesus chose them, and he chose them purposefully. There's a reason why he chose them. He's given them a task. And so he has has made them his own. And we're going to see that he is now going to then change this dynamic that he has with these disciples. He's going to change the relationship with them. And this is something that is very profound. This is something that we dare not just pass over as we read the text this morning. Jesus tells the disciples, I think he tells us, Indirectly through this text That there's a change in our relationship with him The status has changed from that of slaves To that of friends This is a dramatic change And the terminology that John chooses here In the original language, in the original Greek Is that term for a slave It's translated in some of our translations Like the ESV as servant I don't think it's as strong as it should be The term is slave here Certainly, it implies being a servant, but there's a change in status from that of slavery to friendship, and this is a dramatic change now in the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. So if I can just stop real quickly and just say this to you this morning before we go on with this text and with this message. Those of you who are here today who know Christ, who have... Who have come into this relationship with Jesus, you have an entirely new status now that separates you out from the world, as it were, and into a unique relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You have now become a friend of Christ, which is an incredible thing. And I suspect that there are many here today who, who would say, I do know Christ, But you would also say, either outwardly or at least inwardly, that you're pretty sure that Jesus probably doesn't like you very much, right? He may love you in a broad category, but he probably doesn't like you and he probably wouldn't want to spend much time with you. And so allow me to just say something really, really direct to you this morning. I'll actually say a few things direct to you this morning. And here's the first one. I think you're wrong about that. If you believe that Jesus doesn't really like you, if you believe that there's some change in your status with Christ after you've become his friend and that somehow you're slipping back into slavery, from Jesus' perspective, I think you're wrong about that. I think Jesus has invited you into a unique relationship and an everlasting relationship. I think he's invited his disciples into that relationship. I think he's doing something really unique here. And he's saying there's a change in our relationship now. Right? You're no longer slaves. You are my friends. And then he's going to tell them why they're his friends. And we're going to talk more about that today as well. So friends, Jesus chooses us and then he makes us his friends. What could be more important for us to know than that? And why would we fight against something as wonderful and as beautiful as that? to recognize that Jesus himself has chosen us and set us apart and called us friends now and changed our relationship with him so that our relationship is unique with Christ and different from the relationship that God has with the rest of the world. He's called us friends. He's chosen us. And he's given us a purpose in all of these things. And so, friends, my takeaway from my message today at the beginning of my message is simply this. Let Jesus befriend you allow him to befriend you be engaged in that process and then learn how to love Christ and to obey Christ as well and we'll talk more about that here in our text today John chapter 15 verses 12 through 17 again if you're new to your bible here today if you're first time here with us we're very glad that you are here we've been in John's gospel now for over a year we'll be in John's gospel for a, little, a while longer And we're in John chapter 15 today And John's Gospel is the fourth of four Gospels in the New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the Gospel of John We're in John 15, and we're going to start at verse 12 here this morning And read through verse 17 So let's stand together, shall we? Let's honor God now as we read from His Word Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse 12 This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So Jesus is inviting his disciples into a new depth of fellowship with him. He's at the end of his earthly mission. This is his upper room discourses. This is the last night, full night of Jesus' life. And he is now changing the dynamic of the relationship he has with his beloved disciples. And I think he's changing the dynamic for all of his disciples, all of us who have come to know Jesus Christ. We have it as a commandment of Jesus that we are to love one another. He could not be more clear about this. At the beginning of this statement, at the end of the statement, this is my commandment that you love one another. Now we got to figure out what in the world does that mean? How in the world do we do this? But here's something else that Jesus does here. He doesn't just tell us that we are to love one another. He doesn't just say we're, just, we're supposed to develop somehow some sort of sentimental feelings for one another right that we feel somewhat inclined towards one another within the body of Christ that's not what he says right he says i command you to love one another and not just to do it in a sentimental way but you are to love one another how like he has loved the disciples right this is a really high bar <laughs> Jesus is saying, listen, I've lived among you for three years. You've seen me pour my life into your life. You've seen me love you like nobody else has loved you. Now, I want you to love one another that way. In fact, I'm not just asking you to do it. I'm commanding you to do this. And I want you to do it like I've done it for you. I want your love to mirror my love. I want it to look like everything that I have done for for you. So, so friends, Jesus' commandments are not burdensome, the Scriptures tell us, and that is true. They are not a burden to us. However, it doesn't mean they're easy. It doesn't mean this is an easy thing for us to do, that Jesus just tells us to do it, and we say, oh, okay, that makes sense, we'll do that. They're not a burden to us, but they are not Easy as well because the standard is incredibly high. So we know that if we love Jesus, then we're going to obey his commandments. Now we know at least three of those commandments number one, that we love one another, number two, that we go, and number three, that in our going we bear fruit that abides, that lasts, that has some depth to it and some purpose and meaning to it. Now, when he says go, what does he mean by go? Because he doesn't really explain it here in John's gospel. I think we have to go back to Matthew's gospel, chapter 28. Jesus is going to share this with his disciples about a month after this event, a little over a month later, and as he is ready to ascend back to the Father, he will say, go and make disciples... And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to do what? To obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you even to the very end of this age. I think this is the great mission, right? We call it the great commission of Jesus Christ. This is the going, right? Jesus says to his disciples, I've chosen you. But I've chosen you with a purpose, and the purpose is that you'll go. And as you go, I want you to bear fruit. And I don't want you just to bear fruit. I want you to bear fruit that lasts. There needs to be a purpose in your going. This is, friends, as I said last week, a mission statement. This isn't just Jesus saying, listen, over three years, I've come to have a fondness for you. And I want you to have a fondness for me. And I sure would like it if you would have a fondness for one another as well. That's not at all what Jesus is doing here. He's sending these men out on a mission and saying, this mission will have me as a part of it. Even though I'm leaving, I'm going to be with you uniquely by the work of the Holy Spirit, the helper that I'm going to have uh, dwelling in you. And I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to send the Spirit to you. And you're going to go on mission. And here's the commandments that you must obey. You have to love one another. While you do this, you have to go. You can't stay. You have to be on mission for Christ. And you need to bear fruit. And it needs to be f- bearing fruit that lasts, that has some dimension to it, some purpose in it. Here's how the Apostle Paul rounds that off for the people in Rome, for the believers in Rome. In Romans 13. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves, has, loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Take all the commandments, friends, everything of the Old Testament, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, all the commandments of God to the people, all the sacrifices, all the things that Jesus has taught his disciples. Take it all, Jesus says, and here's the greatest one. Love enough that you would be willing to die for these people. Love enough that you would be willing to die for your friends. Paul says, you take this and you sum it up in what we call nowadays the golden rule, right? We love others in the same manner in which We love ourselves, right? This isn't about us learning how to love ourselves. This is about the reality that we love ourselves. And therefore, we should incorporate others. We should see others the way that we see ourselves. In so doing, in as much as we can obey this command and do this command, we will fulfill the law. We will take care of everything that the Scriptures have taught us about do this, don't do that. We will fulfill these things in this commandment. Whitney Houston Some of you younger people wouldn't maybe remember Whitney Houston, but Whitney Houston made millions telling us that the greatest love was to learn to love ourselves. Whitney Houston was very, very wealthy, but she was also very, very wrong about this. She was very wrong about this. Jesus tells us plainly that the greatest love is to lay down what is precious to us, that is our own lives, and to do that for someone that we love, to do that for a friend. That's the greatest love that we would elevate others to such a status that they are something beyond us and that we have genuinely learned to love them. Now look what Jesus does here when he tells the disciples this. Notice the narrative and the flow of the narrative here. Right? This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love no one has ever known than this, that one would be willing to lay down their life for a friend then what does he do in the narrative? He says, you're my friends. Right? You're my friends. If you obey my commandments, you are my friends, he says to the disciples. You're no longer servants. You're no longer slaves. Right? I've changed your status dramatically. You're no longer ones who go do what I tell you to do just because I tell you to do it. I bring you into the family you are now my friends, and now we have an entirely different dynamic, an entirely different relationship. Friends, you see why we can say that when we convince ourselves that Jesus doesn't like us, we're just simply wrong about that? Jesus has changed his relationship with you. He's pulled you up out of the ditch. He's pulled you out of slavery, and he's made you a friend. He's changed Your relationship with Him and with the Father, absolutely dramatically. And He's called us into a different relationship with Him. The disciples, we are no longer slaves in God's house. Jesus has told them, this is what a friend is. This is what a friend does. And you are my friend's. Looking back, we say, this is what Christ did, right? He physically obeyed the very commandment that he just now shared with the disciples. He said, this is how you demonstrate love for a friend. You're my friend. And then he goes, they don't know what's going to happen yet. We're looking back over 2,000 years of time and space, and we know what Christ did. The disciples are going to find out in about 24 hours what Jesus means by this. He means it Literally. He means this is what we do. Now, we're not all going to have the opportunity to lay down our lives physically for somebody else, but certainly there are ways that we do it as we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Jesus has said, here is this new commandment. Here is this information. Here is this new relationship. You are my friends if You obey my commands. There's a caveat there, friends, we dare not miss. Don't miss how often in John 14 and 15, Jesus will use the word command or commandments. And he's not squeamish about it. He doesn't have any problems talking about the grace of God and inviting people into his life and changing their relationship while talking about commands. We're the ones who tend to get squeamish about that, particularly as Protestants. Right? You start talking about grace and you don't want to talk anything about commandments or anything else because then it makes it sound like we're talking about works righteousness. We're talking about being saved by works. And so we're squeamish about that, but Jesus isn't the least bit squeamish about this. He says, I love you and, and I want you to love me. And, and I love the Father and the Father loves me. And I want you to abide in me as I abide in the Father. And we're going to abide together together. And this is what it's going to look like. You're going to to obey my commandments. You're going to do what I call you to do. And here's what I've called you to do. So friends, let me again just say something very, very directly to you today. Obeying Jesus' commands will not save you. Okay? Obeying Jesus' commands will not save you. Now let me say it one more time for emphasis. Obeying Jesus' commands will not save you. However, obeying Jesus' commands will demonstrate that you are a friend of Christ. It will demonstrate that you have a unique and new relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. This is what Jesus is telling us today. We're no longer slaves in God's house. We've been elevated by the grace of God to the status of friends. And listen, as strange as this may sound, friends, nowhere ever in the Scripture are we ever described as those who have made God our friend. It's never, never that way in Scripture. It's always God or Christ who has invited us into the friendship. It's never us inviting God into our friendship with Him, right? It's never us saying, Jesus, you've shown yourself to be faithful to me over and over and over again, so you're my friend now. We can say it, but it's absolutely without biblical warrant. It's always God. It's always Christ inviting us into a friendship. Abraham was a friend of God. Moses was a friend of God. But nowhere does it tell us that God was a friend of Abraham. It's God inviting Abraham in. It's God inviting Moses in. It's God inviting the disciples in. It's God inviting us in to this vital relationship. Now listen, Jesus is the best friend any sinner ever had. Take my word on that if you don't know Christ here today. You've never met a better friend than Jesus Christ. But the Bible never utilizes The terminology of us inviting Jesus to be our friend. I suspect it does that because it doesn't want to trivialize this type of a relationship. It doesn't want to to sentimentalize that relationship. D.A. Carson, who is a pastor and theologian, says that in our generation, the love of God has been sanitized, it has been democratized, and above all, it has been sentimentalized. And I think he's right. We hardly know what love is in our culture anymore. We hardly know what the word means because we use the word for almost everything. And that's not how God is using this term. Jesus isn't talking about a sentimental feeling he has for the disciples. He's talking about a deep-rooted friendship based upon a love that is willing to die for somebody. And he's gonna do that. He's gonna demonstrate what that love looks like for his disciples. And so, what's the distinction that Jesus is making here between slaves and friends? Is it slaves obey, but friends don't have to? But that's not what Jesus is saying, right? He's not saying slaves obey, but friends don't have to. He's saying friends obey, right? Here's the relationship. That that is the exemplar to that, Jesus says, it's the relationship that he has with the Father. It's the love that God the Father has for Jesus the Son. What is that relationship based on? Is it Jesus doesn't have to obey God the Father because they're friends? Absolutely not. Jesus has already told us, everything the Father has commanded me to do, I do. I do it all. Friends, it is not disingenuous to tie together friendship and love and obedience that's not disingenuous Jesus says what's the example of the love I want you to have for one another and the love I want you to have for me it's the love I have for the father and the father has for me and what is that based on it's based on me doing and obeying everything the father has called me to do as the incarnate son of God That's not a trivialized love. It's not a sentimentalized love. It's not a democratized love. Jesus does what the Father tells him to do. That's not a democracy. That's a monarchy. You do what the king tells you to do. But it's a love relationship, and it is a friendship. This is a unique relationship between Jesus, the incarnate Son, and God, the everlasting Father. In this period of the incarnation, Jesus has submitted himself to the will of the Father, and yet they are friends, and they love one another. So Jesus isn't making a distinction here to the disciples and saying, you're no longer slaves, so you don't have to do what I tell you to do anymore. I just want you to do it because you love me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I love you, and I want you to love me, and you're going to do what I command you to do. That's how we will work out this friendship. That's how this friendship will work. Jesus, friends, I said this last week, and and it is way more profound than I can put into words, but Jesus is inviting the disciples and you and me, if we know Christ today, to have a completely different relationship than God has with the world at large. He's inviting his disciples into an intra trinitarian love relationship, into a relationship that God the Father has had with the Son, and God the Father and the Son has had with the Spirit throughout all eternity. Through all eternity, they have loved one another, and they've worked together in this what we call the economy of the Trinity. Jesus is saying to the disciples, I'm inviting you in now. He's saying that to you and me as well. I'm inviting you into this intra-trinitarian love relationship that I have had with my Father and with the Spirit. The difference here, friends, between slaves and friends is one of information given. Notice what Jesus says. No longer do I call you slaves. I call you friends. Why? Because everything I've heard from the Father, I've done what with it? I've shared the information with you. That's what friends do, right? Slaves don't get the information. They get told what to do. But then if they say, well, why do you want me to do that? Well, that's not a good thing for a slave to do. There's probably trouble on the end end of that statement for a slave. But a friend, a friend knows the business of a friend. This is the difference in the relationship, Jesus says. I'm now giving you more information. I'm now sharing with you everything that the Father has given to me. That makes you my friend, right? You're not a slave anymore. Now you know. I've sent you out on a mission. Now you know the mission. Now you know what I want you to do on the mission. Now you know how I'm going to assist you on the mission. You're my friends. You're not my slaves. I'm not just telling you to go. I'm telling you to go and I'm telling you to obey, but I'm telling you why. I'm inviting you in with this information. My, my father was an incredibly hardworking man. And I know if you were here last week, I shared another story about my dad. I promise I won't always tell you stories about my dad. But my dad was an incredibly hardworking man. 10-hour shifts in a coal mine as a supervisor, but, but doing the hard work of, of mining started off in the deep mines, uh, laying up timber, after they blasted new tunnels. Ended up in a, in a, working in a coal mine, 10-hour shifts for a lot of that time, seven hours a day, seven days a week. But when he would come home in order to, to, to provide for 14 hungry kids, he would do other work as well. And so he would, he would work on people's cars and he would build people's garages and put on porches and all these kind of things for people. My dad was known for really good quality work but also for a guy that you really didn't want to work with. <laughs> he was just a leave me alone and I will get the job done kind of a guy, right? He this immigrant family. They came into the United States. They felt blessed by being here. And how did they make their mark? They worked incredibly hard to make their mark in this, in this new world that they had come to. And he learned that from his father, and he was a hard-working person. But it was pretty much, leave me alone, I'll go do the job. Now, sometimes he would let me or one of my siblings help him with some of these. And again, to be honest with you, most of the time my dad was more of a hold this and shut up kind of a guy, right? No, the light here, No, the light here, give me the light and I'll show you how you do this, okay? That was how he was most of the time. But occasionally my dad would invite me in with additional information, right? Jimmy, go get the saw, because here's what I'm gonna do with this, and I want you to watch what I'm gonna do with this, and I want you to watch how I'm doing this, right? It was a different relationship, right? I used to go sometimes and work at the mine, not as a coal miner, but just doing odd jobs during the summer, usually as far away from my dad as I could get, because I didn't work as hard as my dad. And, and uh, I would hear stories of guys that worked under my dad, and they would just say point blank, your dad does great work, but listen, you do it your dad's way or you will find another job. That's just how it works here. But that's not how it worked by and large in my home. In my home, my dad shared information with us, with me. He invited me in, right? It was a different relationship. That's what Jesus is doing here, friends. He's saying, you're not my slaves anymore. You're my friends. And here's why you're my friends. I'm giving you new information. I'm telling you everything my father has told me. We've got a new dynamic working together now. It's a beautiful relationship that Jesus has invited us into. Jesus tells his disciples, I command you to obey me. But now I want you to know why. Now I want you to know what the mission is. Now I want you to know why this relationship is so vital and so important. From slaves to friends, a new depth of fellowship here for Jesus and his disciples. But then he goes on in verse 16, and it doesn't get any easier, right? In verse 16, he tells the disciples that they were chosen by Jesus and appointed, right? Chosen with a purpose, right? You did not choose me, he says to the disciples. I chose you so that you would go and that you would bear fruit, and fruit that is an abiding fruit. Now, this is an incredibly easy verse in terms of how we translate it. There's no difficulty from the Greek to the English. We know exactly what Jesus said here, okay? It's difficult in the way that we muck it up with so much of our own information, right? This is what he must mean here, This is what, it can't mean this, it must mean this when Jesus has just said it pretty plainly, right? You didn't choose me and I chose you. So so it doesn't get any easier here. The disciples, I suspect, might have said to Jesus, actually, no offense, Jesus, but do you remember we were fishing and you came by and said, I would like to make you fishers of men and we decided that we would come and become fishers of men with you. Right. Nathaniel could say, actually, Jesus, um, you, you didn't find me. I found you, if you remember, right? Philip came to me, and I was, I was looking for the Messiah, by the way. I was interested in the Messiah. Philip said, I found the Messiah, and so he came and he brought me to you, and I came and I looked for you, and I chose you. I decided that you were the Son of God, that you were the King of Israel. But I think Jesus would have said to him, had this conversation happened, Actually, Nathaniel, do you remember where you were when you were were looking for me, so to speak? You were under a fig tree, do you remember? Do you remember when you came and, and, and sought me out? I told you where you were. I saw you, Nathaniel. I know where you were, and I know who you are and who you were. So no more language of you choosing me because I chose you. I know you, and I know where you were. Jesus says to these disciples, You didn't come looking for me. I went looking for you. And I chose you to become my friends and to go out on a mission. Now, friends, listen, I'm not trying to make some big distinction here between Calvinism and Arminianism and Wesleyanism, if you know those terms. I'm simply trying to tell you what Jesus said very, very plainly, right? I chose you, you did not choose me. Now, You can add yourself into that equation if you'd like to do that. That's your prerogative. But all I know is what Jesus is saying here, and I think very, very plainly. I chose you. You did not choose me. Look, the apostle Paul didn't go looking for Jesus, right? Acts chapter 9 tells us he's on the way to Damascus, and he's going to go, and he's going to arrest some Christians, those who are part of the way, and he's going to take them back to Jerusalem, and he's going to see them persecuted and probably put to death as well, at least some of them. That's the purpose of his trip to Damascus. Jesus meets him on the way and says, your purpose has changed, and our relationship has changed, Saul. I'm going to call you Paul, and you're going to be doing now what I call you to do. And I am going to show you how much you're going to have to suffer for my name. Paul doesn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus goes looking for Paul. And I know some people would say, well, that's an exception. And I would say, actually, I don't think it's an exception at all. I think that's how it works. God chooses us. He chooses us to go and make disciples. He chooses us to have a new relationship with him. I don't think that the Apostle Paul's interaction with Jesus is an exception. I think it's exceptional. <laughs> it's an exceptional story. It's an exceptional thing that Christ did. But I don't think it's an exception at the, at the root of it. Jesus just chose Paul. I said, Paul, you're going to come, and you're going to do this now. This is your new relationship with me. This is the new mission that I send you on. Friends, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves. It's the work of God, not by works, so that none of us can boast. And then verse 10, which we generally leave off. For we are his workmanship, created what? For good works in Christ Jesus, which he has appointed for us from the very beginning. Every time the scriptures speak of God moving sovereignly in human beings' lives, friends, at least as far as I can see, there's always a purpose statement with it. There's always a reason why. It's not just, I've done this, now sit back and just enjoy it. It's, I've chosen you for a purpose, right? Go do what I've called you to do. Do the good works that I set in place for you from the foundations of the earth. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with all spiritual blessings in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ In accordance with his purpose and will, to the praise of his glorious name, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. He goes on to say that we know redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ, there in Ephesians 1. He goes on to tell us that there's a purpose in all of this, that he has lavished upon us the grace of God, and he has given us new information, right? He has revealed to us the mystery of his will. That's what friends do, friends. They bring us in and they give us the information that we need. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We are now friends and we are no longer slaves. The apostle Peter was there at this meal and at this discussion. And here's what he'll say later on in one of his letters. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, here's the purpose statement, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, right? There's a purpose for why we are his people, why we have been called apart and set aside as a holy nation, so that we will proclaim the excellencies of God in Christ. We have been chosen, friends, to go on a mission. And I don't believe the mission is optional, I think it is a mandatory mission. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus shares a parable. It's in the context of him telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like there in Matthew. The first one, the first part of that parable is uh, 10 virgins, if you remember, who uh, five of them are ready for the return of Christ and five of them are not. Ready. The second one he says, the kingdom of heaven is, is like this. It's like a it's like a, a master who went out and he was going to be gone for a while. And if you remember the story, he calls three of his of his people in, his servants in, and he says, based on their abilities, here's five talents for you, here's two talents for you. This is a sum of a significant sum of money, and here's one talent for you. Now go. I'm leaving for a while. In fact, there he says for a long while. And you go and you put this stuff to work. And he goes and he's gone for a long time, he returns back and he calls these three servants into account and the one with the five talents says, well, here's what I did with it, I, I worked it and here's ten talents in return. And and the master says, well done, good, faithful servant. You've been entrusted with a little. Now within the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to give you a lot. The one with two talents comes and says, here's what I did with the two talents you've given me. I've invested it. I've done whatever I've done with it. They've doubled. Here's four talents in return. Well done, good, faithful servant. You've been entrusted with little, and now you'll be entrusted with much in the kingdom of God. The one who had one talent, remember the story? He comes in and says, you're a hard man. And I know that you sow, or you, or you reap where you have not sown. And so this is what I did with my talent. I went and dug a hole and I, and I buried it. Here's your talent back. Now, the master doesn't say, well done, right? At least I got the talent back. At least you didn't lose any of it. That's not what he says. He says, you're a wicked and lazy servant. Now, I'm going to take the one talent I gave to you and I'm going to give it to the guy with 10. Because the one who has, I'm going to give more. And I'm going to take you... And I'm gonna throw you out of my presence where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, this isn't an optional mission. It's not optional. This is what God has called us to, to go and make disciples, to obey what Christ has called us to do as our friend. And while we do that, he has promised us that he has given us what John Piper calls a wartime walkie-talkie to God. And that is prayer, friends. This text where Jesus says time and time again, whatever you ask, I will give to you. Friends, we have to look at its context, and the context is Jesus sending the disciples out on a mission. He's not saying, go out and do whatever you want to do, right? You're my friends now. You don't have to obey me. I'd like for you to work, but I don't, and I'm not demanding that you do that. Go back if you want to and just relax, and whatever you want in prayer, I'll give it to you. Say the right words. Right? You've got to say the right formula. You've got to say, in Jesus' name, amen, and then I'll give it to you. And you can spend it on your pleasures if you'd like to. Friends, it's nothing like that. Nothing. It's the context of a mission. And as long as we are abiding in Christ, vitally connected to the vine, and as long as we are on mission for Christ, and we are asking for what we need to be on mission with Christ, Jesus says, ask for anything you want. And I will give it to you. You will have everything you need to be on this mission. He doesn't say, use it to spend it on your pleasures. That's not the context at all. So the name it and claim it crowd, it's wrong. The health, wealth, and prosperity crowd, it is wrong. And I know you've heard me say that before, but man, i got to keep saying it because it keeps welling up. Right? Why am I not healthy? I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, maybe Jesus has something else for you. And again, I'm not saying that crassly. No one wants to be unhealthy. No one wants to suffer. Paul didn't ask for it. Jesus just said, I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my name. That's what it means to be on mission for me, Paul. It may not be the same for somebody else, but that's what it is for you. We pray as a part of a mission, and when we do it, friends, God hears our prayer, and he responds to our prayer. It's a promise from Jesus keep the connection vital friends in obedience to Jesus Christ and we will find that loving one another is a joy and we will see past some faults not all of them because we're human beings but we'll look past these excuses for why we don't have to obey a direct command of Jesus when we say yeah but he doesn't understand the circumstances right or I'm not getting what I want from her so why should I give back right I can't tell you how many times I hear that in marriage counseling. I don't have to do my part because they're not doing their part. That's not what Jesus is talking about here at all. That's not what he's talking about here at all. Jesus has told us that the greatest love is to lay down our lives for someone else. And he has called us friends. And then he went and did it. He went and did what a friend does for a friend. He lived out what he commanded and what he proclaimed we're chosen by jesus to go and in going we are to bear fruit that lasts friends and we do that by obeying christ by loving one another and engaging in this mission with christ leading the way let me just sum up everything here with an old old hymn that i'll read to you rather than sing to you it's one by william merrill rise up O men of god have done with lesser things Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the king of kings. Rise up, you saints of God. The kingdom tarries long. Bring in the day of Christ-like love and end the night of wrong. Rise up, saints of God. The church for you doth wait. Sent forth to serve the needs of men. In Christ our strength is great. Lift high the cross of Christ. Tread where his feet have trod. Led onward by the Son of Man, rise up, O men of God. This is what Christ is calling us to. We got to rise up, friends. We got to rise up. We got to be engaged in the mission. Our friend has called us to that. He's commanded us to love one another and to do what he has sent us out to do, friends. So let Jesus befriend you and then learn what it is to obey him and love him. Amen? Amen. God, I pray that you would help us to be those type of men, those type of women, those type of young people here today who hear the call of Christ, who obey the command of Christ, who love one another, God, teach us to do that like you did for us because that is so hard for us to do, to get beyond ourselves and to think outwardly rather than inwardly. God, help us to do those things. Help us to be those who obey you and to go out on mission and to do it as you've called us to do it. God, I pray that for each one of us here today. I pray that for us corporately as the body of Christ at LifePoint. And I ask them all, In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.